fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. We continue our countdown of the seven deadly worldviews that are making crazy our new normal here in 2019 with the one that we participate in, the one that makes that we help the enemy make the enemy's job easier for him. We'll discuss that here in a moment on the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. All right, back here on the Glenn Beck Program, we're the crew from the Steve Day Show filling in for Glenn today and tomorrow for the final two days of 2019. If you are a Blaze TV subscriber, you're used to us because we are on each day right after Glenn on Blaze TV radio and podcast from noon to 2 Eastern. If you want to sample our stuff, blazetv.com slash dace, that's D-E-A-C-E, or you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all of the various interwebs as well. Today, we're taking a look at the worldviews that brought us to crazy being our new normal. We're going to teach you some uh, philosophy and history today. So we've already talked about the very first deadly worldview, this idea that there's only special knowledge for a special few, that the, the truth is not really out there, um, that you have to be on a, a certain road, through, go through certain gatekeepers in order to acquire it. It's, it's exclusive, not in the way that things that contradict each other cannot be mutually true, but exclusive only to select company. And as Pearl Jam once sang on the Vitalogy, or Vitalogy album, it's not for you. Okay? Now we come to the second. And this is the one that trips us up as a species. This is where, when faced with fallacy and error, when faced with something we know just doesn't, something about that doesn't seem right. So how do we react to it? Because if we react wrong to that which is wrong, then two wrongs, as my mama taught me growing up, do not make a right. Let's discuss with the help of our friend, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston from Houston Baptist University and the Christian Thinkers Institute. Let's discuss legalism. I think doing the best that I can based on what I understand that to be for myself. Do you believe that if you please God, then you will go to heaven? Yes. When we talk about legalism, the first thing that I want our viewers to appreciate is the fact that legalism, at its essence, is as bad as liberalism. They, they, they both are terrible as it relates to faith, because it is faith or grace plus something else. And there's a fourth point about grace, and that is that it can be resisted. If we don't build our lives around these seven principles, then we're going to have these root problems, we'll have surface wrong attitudes and surface problems, and our life will be one continuous failure. Ultimately, with legalism, you establish your own righteousness, your own standing before God by simply coming up with your own man-made religious system, which is a list of rules that you live by, that you abide by, and that you indeed judge your neighbors through. Was it a fermented wine that Jesus drank or that he made? Remember when we went to the wedding? 
uh, feast in, in, in the first miracle. It was a big thing about Dungeons and Dragons and people actually got absorbed in that stuff. They took on those roles and they began doing horrible things. And it was almost like an invitation to demonic possession. Ariel, I cannot let this dance happen. Ren McCormick made a lot of people stop and think. I object to that kind of music, and I think you know why. Because people fornicate to it. I never said that. That's what you told the church board. That was not meant for your ears. You, it makes you better than other people. Um, you don't do certain things, so you are a better example of Christ than others. God hates Australia, land of the sodomite damned. We boil Christianity down to a list of rules, do's and don'ts, and this, at all, this is not at all the essence of the Christian faith. Christianity is the beauty that we are not perfect, we are forgiven. There is no place for legalism. In fact, Jesus' toughest words were reserved for the righteous legalistic Pharisees, those that thought they had no need of a savior and those that were quick to judge and quick to speak up and condemn the world around them. And I think it's interesting and notable that in almost every place we see the historical Jesus teach in the gospels, and keep in mind over 30 times we hear that large crowds traveled with Jesus, there was always a Pharisee in the crowd. I think of the scene in Matthew 22, 37, where the nomikos, the professor, the expert in the law, wants to ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And that Pharisee is trying to trap him. And Jesus quotes the Shema and said, we should love the God, God with our heart, soul, and mind. So the beauty of the Christian faith is that it meets us exactly where we're at, and it saves us right where we're at. It saves us out of the unimaginable experiences. We don't have to do performance because we trust in Christ's performance on our behalf. So here's how this plays out. Here's how legalism is playing out in our culture today. And it's it's how we helped set the stage for the rest of the, the other five deadly worldviews that we're going to talk about here later in the program. And it's it's how we respond to error and fallacy. Do we respond with intuition, opinion? You know, right now, on the Ameri- in the American right, there's a, there's a big tactical debate that's taking place. And the, the tactical debate comes down to, well, there's two tactical debates. There's one that I, I think is an edifying conversation that is long overdue. That, you know, I've been trying to have that conversation in, throughout the course of my entire career in conservative media, starting from when I started at WHO Radio. Ronald Reagan was the first sports director there uh, here, in, here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I live. Okay, I, This conversation of what ultimately is the purpose of the conservative movement. And that has played out if you've followed the David French, Sarab Amari debate throughout the course of this year. That, that's been the debate that they're having. Is, are we here to, to manage decay are we here to get, you know, uh, conscience clauses and exemptions to drag queen story time hour, or are we here to defeat it? Which is it? I think that's a worthwhile debate. The other, de- because here's the thing, you o- we only get to be better as a movement by having that debate. We don't, you, you may disagree vehemently, but it doesn't make you worse at being a conservative, meaning you're trying to conserve. That's the, the root word of a word is always what a word means. So if, if you're a conservative, that means you're trying to conserve that which has proven to be true and beautiful for the human condition for this and future generations. That's, what you're, that's why you're a conservative. You're trying to conserve those things. 
So the, the French Omari debate, regardless of which side of it you're on or how frustrated you are with the other side of it, you only, we only get better as a movement because that's the right debate to have, meaning it's edifying. It elevates the, the purposes and principles we're supposedly all here for. Does that make sense? Yeah. This other debate, I don't believe, does that. And I think it's destructive. And, it's, and it really comes down to how much rot gut and Saul Alinsky-esque tactics that the left has used against us, right out of a book dedicated to Satan, literally, how many of those should we adopt in order to fight fire with fire? How much reprobate should we be? How low should we go? And what ends up happening for those of us that say, I'm not, I'm not watering down my beliefs at all. I'm, what is the point of that? What is, what, is, what, is, what is the point of giving cultural Marxists 50, pick a percentage, 60, 70, 80, 40, pick a number, pick a number above 10. What is the point of giving them that? And then fighting them. I'm, 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 it's a losing battle. These people, this movement hates America. It hates Western civilization. It's fine with tearing all of this down. It's fine with all of the, 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 the venom that we could spew. Like a water hose, a fire hose all throughout the culture. It doesn't care. It doesn't care if you fight their boycott with a boycott and their cancel with a cancel. We're just, you know, zero times zero is zero. We're just going to spread hate to fight hate. I'm not doing any of that. Well, then that means you're not really a conservative. You're not really a Christian, Steve. If you won't conform to my fallacy in response to a fallacy, then you're not really a blank. That's what legalism does. I get those emails all of the time. Now, thankfully, I grew up in a home where I didn't have the best dad. You know, and on a given day there in Grand Rapids, Michigan, shout out to Wood AM. I saw you guys tweeted at me earlier today. I listened to that station growing up, so it's a little surreal for me. Uh, but, you know, on a given day, coming home from Jackson Park Junior High or Rogers High School, man, I didn't know if we were going to Cedar Point, Disney World, or going to get beat because your guess was as good as mine. When you grow up like that, you learn not to need a lot of affirmation from other people. So thankfully, I don't. You can, you can flood my compartment with all of your player hate. Frankly, I feed off of it. It just convinces me I'm doing the right thing, so I'll do it even more. All right? But that's this notion that you've got to dress like me or look like me, speak like me, think exactly like me in order to have access to this larger and supposedly unifying truth, meaning people from disparate beliefs, groups, languages, customs, come together around this shared belief. Not that I have to go through your accessorizing in order to plug into it. Todd and Aaron, I'm going to let you guys respond to that here in a moment on the Glenn Beck Program. Back here on the Glenn Beck program, we're the crew from the Steve Day Show, noon and two Eastern, right after Glenn Beck on Blaze TV radio and podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. That's D E A C E for those of you listening around the country on radio that have never heard of us before or don't know how to spell the name or pronounce it. 
I could be spelling it and pronouncing it wrong for all I know. It's just, it could be Dees. I was just told it was Dace. Other members of the family pronounce it Dace. So there's a Gnostic mystery for you as well. All right. Let's talk legalism, though, before we go to the next seven, next of our seven deadly worldviews, gentlemen. Your thoughts on how we watch this play out today, where we feel and almost adjust, and you're seeing this more too with more um, of, you know, the fake news sites on the right. Almost like it, like we're kind of proud now to replace your lie with a lie of our own making. That's really what legalism is. Yeah, and well, and it's only getting exacerbated by uh, social media and how uh, quickly uh, we go after one another uh, for any uh, breach. But th- you you saw in the movie Footloose how it it usually comes across as something stern like that, and mm-hmm. we're talking about fornication. But it's more it's it's rightly and easily mocked when you talk about the church lady. Uh, it, sure. That's really what it is. This is really Spinal Tap. Oz goes up to eleven. That, that's that's legalism <laughs> uh, right there. And it does, it's not. And you should and you should laugh at that. But then you should have the appropriate answer. And the answer to that is what you it should look like, what it should feel like. Steve often uses a word. What does the word all mean? Oh, it it actually means all. That the gospel is for everybody. And if you don't have somebody in your parish who looks and feels a, lit, a little bit more along the lines of locusts and wild honey, and, and, and that should make you a little uncomfortable. That's a good thing. Our churches are too homogeneous. Steve has talked about that a lot on the show on a regular basis. That look and feel of authenticity of John the Baptist is a sign that you are not part of a legalistic community. Yeah, to me, I, I think you can tell the... Uh, you can grade a movement's integrity by the way it handled its contrarians. Yes. Right? You know, and, and it's okay. We, we, we need to tolerate contrarianism within the conservative movement more often as well. You know, not everybody has to have the same talking point, the same song sheet, talk about the exact same topics, and have the same pro-team GOP spin. You know, and, and, and this idea, that's, what I, that's why I love working here at The Blaze. There aren't, frankly, too many places you could work in conservative media and do what we do, if we're just going to be brutally honest about that. And that doesn't mean your contrarians are always right. I'm wrong quite a bit, all right? I'm a, I'm a natural contrarian. But at least listen to your contrarian. Several years ago, when I first started getting serious about my faith, I had been serious about politics for many years before. But when I first started getting serious about my faith, one of my listeners sent me a, a CD, we were still listening to those back then, Aaron, of John MacArthur, 50 Reasons Why a Christian Should Not Be Involved in Politics. And I'm like, I'm not listening to this. This is garbage. And then I realized, you know, if I don't listen to this, and let this guy who's been doing this a lot longer than me challenge me, am I just as bad as exactly the, 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 the kind of non-critical indoctrinated leftist thinker that I'm trying to impact? Yes, is the answer. So I listened to that, and I found about 48 of his reasons I could easily um, debunk. But there were a couple of that were very difficult for me to get around. And, it, and iron sharpened iron, and it made me better at what I'm doing today because I let that test me. And I think it's okay for us to be tested. Not everything has to come out of the same echo chamber all of the time, Aaron. Yes, and there's a reason why Dr. Jeremiah Johnson in the intro to legalism said that it's almost as as bad as liberalism. And I, I think you can go a couple of different ways there, whether it's um, you know liberalism politically or especially theologically, because it's, it's very different. True. It's, it's not really. Yeah. It really isn't. It's just two sides of the same coin at the end of the day. 
And that's what we deal with every single day. It isn't always the church lady. It, is, it, 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 it isn't always footloose either. It is um, faith plus something else means you get access. You get a seat at the table to the special club. And again, as I mentioned briefly before the end of the last hour, every single one of these deadly worldviews has an element of the previous deadly worldview. How do you know what is the plus after faith? Well, you got to have a special knowledge. So that's that. You know, again, all of these things are related. But again, legalism can often take the you know uh, look like uh, something like you often point out when uh, when somebody tries to disagree with you. But I caucused for fill in the blank. Right. right. On that day, many right. will come to me saying, "Lord, Lord, I caucused in the name of, or I caucused for, uh, Ted, you know, fill in the blank with your favorite politician." Right. Uh, and they'll all say, "Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you." It's people. <laughs> people use get out of jail. For, I did this. Can't I be a part of your group? Why don't you agree with my group right. on, on, on things like this? So it's either politically or theologically. People use this faith plus something else to get out of jail free. Yeah, I get that. I still get that. Somebody disagrees with my take on the politics of the day, and, and people will email me. Well, I, I voted for Ted Cruz. I, for those of you that don't know, I worked for the Ted Cruz presidential campaign of 2016. Um, well, I, I voted for Ted Cruz in the primary. I'm like, okay. What is that supposed to mean to me? Is that so I automatically, so if, if you didn't then, if you voted for Rubio, then I'm to assume that you're a near do well. You're from Lake Wobegon. Uh, have you voted for John Kasich? Okay, that part is probably true. Let's just be honest about that. All right. <laughs> Little legalism never hurt anybody, did it? <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, but that, the, the assumption that I, hey, hey, I got the Ovaltine secret Dakota ring, right? And then, uh, you know, um, Rafi goes, and all it says is buy more Ovaltine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just there's that, that somehow we, hey, I'm in the club. I'm with you. You know what? And so that's why you should take my opinion more seriously. I should take your opinion more seriously if it's a serious opinion. Regardless of who you are, how many Twitter followers you do or don't have, or, um, you know, how many, you have the same God-given rights that I do, uh, just because there's a microphone in front of my face and not in front of yours, um, and, and if you voted for the same person I did or you didn't, none of that should be relevant, Aaron. But we use these all of the time because we want to, like, belong to a club. Yes, and, and I think there's, this needs to be brought up in the conversation of legalism as well, specifically Theologically, for for those of us who go to church, legalism is not uh, your con- if you have a conviction that you don't want to dance to the music that they're talking about in Footloose. Yeah. by all means, follow if that conviction. Twerking's bad. That's not legalism. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, conviction, foisting your own convictions upon others, if it's not explicitly uh, stated in the Bible or yeah. your you know whatever you use as a uh, we use that as a framework, obviously for our faith. You know that's that's something completely different. So I think that's valuable. Yeah, if you've got out. a real convert conviction that twerking is bad for culture, that's not legalism. Well, be more specific. Defending traditional marriage—that's not legalism. That's not right. legalism. Right. Yeah. Saying that you don't love God as much as I do, if you don't hate twerking as much as I do, that's what legalism is. Okay. All right. We'll come back. Our next of our seven deadly worldviews coming up right after this year on the Glenn Beck program. Stay tuned. You're listening to Glenn Beck. All 
right, back here on the Glenn Beck Program. We are the crew from the Steve Dace Show, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace, Aaron McIntyre, Todders, and here with me as well. If you want to learn more about us, blazetv.com slash dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look us up and like us on Facebook. If you have any questions about what we're talking about here today with these seven deadly worldviews that are responsible for the brink of cultural extinction that a lot of us feel we're on right now, uh, feel free to email me, steve at stevedace.com. And we're talking about these worldviews because we're watching them play out in our headlines every day. Our good buddy uh, Josh Hammer over at uh, the Daily Wire, I saw him tweet out a couple of days ago. I don't know if you two saw this. He said something along the lines, it's getting really difficult for him as, as, a, as a conservative Jew. It's getting difficult for him to tell the difference between the social justice aims of reform Judaism and the Democratic Party platform. Because there isn't a difference. Because that's their worldview. The Democratic Party platform is the manifestation of, of worldviews. A lot of them, the worldviews were talking about today just as a lot of people with more of of an orthodox kind of faith meaning they believe more in the traditional viewpoints you look at the republican party platform that's why it looks like that because we can't escape our worldview as we're talking about the seven that have been unleashed on america in this postmodern age now the first two are set the stage for the five to come. We're going to get to those five next with number three, because now that we have deconstructed God, now that we've pulled a Nietzsche and declared God is dead and we have killed him, now that we have deconstructed the God that our rights come from, well, Blaise Pascal is still correct that something has to fill that void in our culture's heart. Something, nature abhors a vacuum. Something will step forward to take the one true God's place. And it begins with our third worldview, dualism. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches. And the Dark Lord shall mark him as his equal, but he shall have power the Dark Lord knows no. while the other survives. The Emperor has been expecting you. I know, Father. So, you have accepted the truth. I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me. It is the name of your true self you've only forgotten. I know there is good in you. The Emperor hasn't driven it from you fully. Search your feelings, Father. You can't do this. I feel the conflict within you. Let go of your hate. It is too late for me, son. Dualism goes back to Plato, the great classical thinker, and even Neoplatonism, which actually underlays much of what we heard about and learned about in Gnosticism. And it really divides reality into two levels or two compartments, if you will. Heaven above, which is light, it's beautiful, it's perfect. And this carbon copy below that is quite right, it is imperfect, it is dark, murky world. This holy river came from the river in heaven that we call the Milky Way. They say that Milky Way actually is a reflection that you see in those waters which are still beyond. We have many gods. In the trees, there is God. In the river, there is God. 
even underneath the earth there is God, the goddess of earth. But those gods are not like the um, creator god because they are still traveling in the cycle of birth and death. Out of this arises transcendentalism. What is imminent or preeminent? Is God transcended? Is God imminent? This is the big question of dualism. Is God something we can attain to? Is it in some perfect sphere? Or is he down here in the murky, imminent world? Well, the beauty of the Christian faith is God is both. God is imminent and God is transcendent. We don't have access to him as if he was a scientific specimen. But he is imminent. He is present in our life, and he's, he is indeed transcendent. He created the world. He sustains the world, Colossians tells us in his very hand. And so I think it's very important that we understand the nature of God as presented in the Judeo-Christian motif that presents God as both transcendent and imminent. So you see dualism in Aaron's montage there. You saw and heard clips from Harry Potter. Uh, you saw and heard clips uh, from from Star Wars. The, if you remember the old George Burns, some of you that are in the older generation, remember the old George Burns, Oh God, You Devil movies. Uh, the classic, uh, you know, Jiminy Cricket, Angel on, De- on one shoulder, Devil on the other. Um, it, it presents itself one of two ways, that either evil is just as powerful as good. That the devil is just as powerful as God, for example. And then they are each vying for equally, with an equal amount of power and ability and access to you and I's affections. Another way that it, that it presents itself is it has a tendency to take the divine and just place it into um, the circle of life, we'll call it. How's that? That's a song we all know if you grew up in our era, right? Okay. Yeah. And that, by the way, the live action version of that this year, I thought was fantastic of the Lion King. But basically, it takes the divine and, and brings it down to our level or us up to his, depending on the way you want to look at it, Mr. Babel, and puts us all in this circle of life so that essentially there's what we would call oneness or this idea that there's not really mutually exclusive truth out there, that things that are totally um, contradictory can both be true. Um, and really, the only bad thing there is in, 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 this, in this point of view is to believe that there actually is exclusive truth out there. Now, of course, um, it, they, they, those that believe in this love exclusive truth when it comes to gravity. Right? I mean, they're not, they're not standing at the top of a building. And, uh, you know, the, the, the leftists are telling us, well, you know, I'm not sure Jesus ever lived. When they're writing those columns for Salon this time of year, or they're writing for Vox this time of year. And if you did, um, he was really just a social justice warrior, Che Guevara, in Jewish rabbi, first century Palestinian garb, right? Okay. Um, I noticed, though, that they're totally fine with using their quote unquote oneness to water down what you believe and the beliefs they don't like. But if you were to tell them, you know, I thought about it, I prayed about it for a while. And I don't really think gravity is really exclusive. So I'm going to invite you to jump out of this plane while it's in the air. Oddly enough, weird as it may be, they're suddenly going to find they're not only enamored, but enthralled even by the notion of rather exclusive truth that doesn't just get stirred up, Todd, in the witch's brew, witch's brew of blah, meh, that they prefer. Well, the reason they get pushed to that point though 
their hubris in in separating into categories tribalism if you will and that's a very topical uh, world these days much earlier in the game doesn't allow for steve talks about hypocrisy and rightly so but early in the game as a christian you do need to get comfortable with paradox and the only way to do that is realize god's god and you're not doesn't mean stop asking smart questions but i'm talking about uh what arguably is the uh oldest book in, in the bible the book of job and there at the end after this very long conversation that is very much platonic uh in many respects but what does god finally what ultimately says he, he says to sum it up to quote the great prophet the rock shut your hole yeah. and know your role all right as the stephen curtis chapman song says uh god is god you are not so I will entertain your questions for a while, but ultimately there has to be an authority. Don't you do this with your own children, right? We, we, Amy and I entertain our children's challenges to a point, but then ultimately there's an authority in the home and they're not you. And so this is why I've said to our children from the time that they could communicate with me, I let this go on for a while. The moment it becomes disrespectful or disobedient, I look at them and say, who am I? Your dad. Who are you? Not dad. Yep. Yeah. Ultimately, that ultimately is the answer. And if you eventually, if you understand paradox, you can get comfortable there. If, if you don't, you, you you never will. You you need to have to answer everything. The more I grow in my faith, the more mind scrambling questions I have, and that's a fantastic thing. Right. Are we seeking answers because we want a better idea of the of of, of who the God is and whose image we're all made? or because we want to replace there it him. Is. Dualism wants to replace him. That's the difference between uh, healthy skepticism and postmodernism. We'll come back. Our next deadly worldview as we continue here today on the Glenn Beck Program. Next. You're listening to Glenn Beck. Well, let's get right to it here. The Steve Dace crew, Steve Dace show crew, filling in for Glenn Beck here today on the Glenn Beck program today and tomorrow. And today we're talking about the seven deadly worldviews that are vying for really the soul of America. I hate to make it sound that apocalyptic, but it's it's where we're at and you're watching it play out right now every time you go and do this while trying to watch the news. <laughs> All right, let's go to the fourth deadly worldview, which needs no introduction. Because it has been the dominant one of the era every generation tuning into this was born into. Darwinism. I, I think we were evolved. Uh, there's two things that determine us, our environment and our genealogy. Charles Darwin is so dangerous because ultimately when we look at Darwinism, it tends to reduce humans to animal status. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Do it again now. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. We have two worldviews which are essentially at war with one another. A worldview that says all people are made in the image of God, therefore I can act sacrificially to love the neighbor who is made in the image of God. But the conflicting worldview is that 
really comes out of the cut and thrust of Darwinian evolution that there is no purpose to life. The universe doesn't owe us any meaning. It could be that there is no meaning of life. And if so, that would be just tough, as I think that we can all make them whatever meaning we choose to make. These are all individual meanings that you can give to your life. That doesn't mean that life itself has one special meaning. It doesn't mean that we are here for any particular purpose, any more than mountains are here for a purpose or rocks are here for a purpose. Rocks are just here. Darwinism says that we are just two-legged animals. We are indeed a cosmic accident. We see this playing out in other, other publications like that of Richard Dawkins and The Blind Watchmaker, where he says, Rocks just happen. They are here. Mountains just happen. They are here. There is a sense in which life is just here. Therefore, there is no such thing as good. There is no such thing as evil. We are all just wasting our time. There is indeed no value to human life. And this is why it is so important that we wake up. Most professors in the modern university system are Darwinian nihilists. What, of course, nihilism is a Latin term meaning ex nihilo, out of nothing. They believe in nothing. They don't even believe in good and evil. And this comes right out of Darwinism because when we accept Darwinism, we say Christianity is passe, the church is passe, the Judeo Christian God is passe. I'm embracing a completely all encompassing different worldview that says, guess what? It paves the way for eugenics, for racism, and as it's been discussed by survivors of the Holocaust, um, Charles Darwin was the favorite, uh, his favorite disciple, Adolf Hitler. When so many of the practices of the Nazi party were actually under the guise of Darwinian scientism. And that's where it gets very, very despicable, and in my opinion, dangerous, because in Darwin, for the first time historically, we see a scientific racism that emerges and things like polygenesis and other, and other understandings of racist ideology. I, I wanna make a, a clear distinction. This worldview is not called evolution. I didn't call it that. I use Darwinism on purpose. I don't know how anybody could argue against some form of evolution. For example, human beings live a lot longer now than they did 100 years ago. They're taller now than they were 100 years ago, right? They're quicker, faster collectively than they were 100 years ago. There's evidence for forms of evolution that are predominant uh, in, our, in our habitat, are, are unmistakable. You cannot miss them. I'm talking about an origin of species. And if you look at Darwin's next book, The Descent of Man, he realized, because he started out there, you know, on the Galapagos, just, just asking questions. Then he realized after he got in asking questions, though, there needed to be some answers. And that's where The Descent of Man comes in. He starts putting flesh on the bone. He starts putting ethics and philosophy on his scientism. And it gave birth to the bloodiest century in human history, the 20th century. To each according to his abilities, for each according to his needs, never happens. That's the Soviet Union. Never happens without Darwin. Dr. Johnston mentioned Nazism. Never happens without Darwin. In fact, Nazi eugenic scientists were frequent speakers at Margaret Sanger's events as well. She's the most prevalent thinker, I think, in the American thinker of the 20th century. Abortion, that Holocaust, never happens without Darwin. More here on the Glenn Beck Program in a moment. 